Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Vulnerability Hangover podcast. I'm your host, Nikki, and today's conversation is going to be an intimate and inspiring journey into the life of someone incredibly special, my dear friend, Lana. Our paths crossed on a girls' night in 2022, and since then, Lana has undergone a profound transformation. From growing up in a religious organization to facing the challenges of unfulfilling relationships and embracing a nomadic lifestyle. Lana's story is a testament to resilience, self-discovery, and the pursuit of true freedom. So grab your favorite drink and tune in. Get ready for an episode filled with raw honesty, vulnerability, and the beauty of finding oneself. Without further ado, let's dive into the Vulnerability Hangover podcast with Lana. Today, I have a very special guest, my friend Lana, and we have a lot to talk about. I was just on her podcast, and we talked a little bit about the dangers of being in an age gap relationship. I'm really excited to have you on. So today, we're going to talk a little bit about Lana and her life experiences and just about everything. So let's just jump into it. Lana, do you have an affirmation for us? Yeah, this is something that I'm manifesting this year. So all of my affirmations are kind of surrounding abundance. So my affirmation for all of you is that money is easy. Money flows freely to me. I am abundant. I am wealthy. I am worthy of abundance. I am worthy of wealth. That's about five, but (laughs) there you go. I love it. The more the merrier. And we are in an eight year and eight year is always the sign of luck and abundance. So I feel that in my bones as well. Do you have a little drink that you're sipping on right now? I'm sipping my coffee from about 9am this morning. I don't know if anybody else is like me, but I will nurse my iced coffee for about four hours and enjoy every sip. So yes, cheers. Cheers. I have like (laughs) a root beer poppy. Lana and I love poppy, but this one I gotta say is not my favorite. It honestly tastes a little bit like dirt but I don't want it to go to waste so we're gonna give it a little sip yeah seriously yeah I think we lived off of poppies for the entire summer of 2022 we had to we were drinking our (laughs) gut health was like probably not the best I know mine wasn't I was on so many antibiotics and everything Anyways, a little background about Lana and I. We met in 2022, literally weeks before both of our breakups. We went through a massive breakup, which we kind of go into in her podcast. We were hanging out at a girls' night. We had met through a mutual friend. And back around that time, we were still drinking. And we pretty much became inseparable ever since our breakup because we were just going through pretty much the exact same experience The reason for the breakups were, of course, very different, but in this episode, we're going to just be talking about Lana and her life. So, Lana, do you want to give us a little bit of background on how we met from your end? Yeah, so it was March or April, I think it was March of 2022, and I got invited out to a girls' night by a friend of mine. And she was like, Oh, I have this friend named Nikki that I think you'll really connect with. So I'm going to invite Nikki to this girl's night too. So I was stoked. We went out to a wine tasting event. Nikki rolls in fashionably late. She's completely dressed to the nines. I remember her hair and makeup were all done. And I was just like, who is this girl in a very positive way? I was very impressed by my first impressions of Nikki. And we just hit it off from the get go. We proceeded to go to like a cocktail 
bar after wine tasting, the drinks were flowing, the food was flowing, the conversation was flowing. And I just remember us kind of sitting in the corner because we were at this big booth and we were like, we need to connect outside of this. And we did. We really connected from the get-go, not knowing that within just two to three weeks, both of our lives would be radically changed, both of us going through pretty traumatic breakups within about a week of each other. I remember texting Nikki right after my breakup had happened. It was about a week after hers being like, yo, do you want a roommate? And you had already signed a lease on your apartment because I knew you had a dog. And I was like, oh, I'm looking to rent a house, which I knew I couldn't afford on my own. We didn't end up moving in together, probably for the best for both of us. But the rest was history from there. Yeah, we entered singlehood together with dogs and just kind of catapulted onto our own individual healing journeys, but supporting each other through that process. Yeah. And it's been awesome just watching your growth and going through the experience with you and living vicariously through you because you are nomadic right now, which we will get into later on in this episode. But first, for those of you who don't know Lana, she's gone through a crazy lifetime. I never knew her before who she is right now, but she just has so much valuable lessons that we can take away from this episode. So I'm really excited. And let's just jump into the questions. Can you share more about your upbringing in your religious organization and how did it shape your views on relationships and life in general? Yeah, of course. So I was raised in a very fundamental Christian upbringing. It was a Lutheran denomination of Christianity. And the religious sect is all over the U.S., but it's, I would say, its headquarters are originated in Finland, Norway, and Sweden. So it comes from overseas. It's basically the patriarchy on steroids. That's the best way I could describe the religion that I was raised in. The women are very much set up to serve the men. The men are the head of the household. You get married very young. A lot of women even get married as young as being teenagers. You have as many children as God can produce. You are very, very isolated. You aren't allowed access to television, media of any sort, music. Books are also something that they monitor. So there's some books you can read, some books you can't read. So it's very isolating. You stay within your that religious organization and you don't mingle outside of that. A little bit of backstory. I was born and raised into it and probably by the age of five or six years old, I just knew that it wasn't for me. I can't explain it in any any other way than I think my spirit at that point, or the spirit that I was born with was just a bit more evolved than maybe a lot of the spirits around me. And even though I wasn't even old enough to understand really anything about my life at that age, I knew that I didn't believe in the belief system that I was being taught. I will always remember I was getting ready for church one Sunday because, you know, faithfully go to church every Sunday. And I, it was Easter Sunday and I had uh, on a new like floral dress because we always got new dresses for, you know, the big religious holidays. And I just remember sitting in my front yard. Don't ask me why I was in the front yard waiting for the whole crew to get together, um, to go to church. And I just remember being like, I don't like this. This feels uncomfortable. This doesn't feel in alignment. Like I didn't have that terminology at that age, but I knew it wasn't a match for me. And I always say that that was the first time I felt my inner spark or my inner spirit very much just guiding me towards a path that was meant for me. But it created a really hard existence for me because 
I never fit in in the community that I was raised in and I wasn't allowed to make friends outside of that community. And so I was always just kind of biding my time until I was 18. I just, my whole childhood, I spent dreaming of being 18 years old so I could make a decision for myself. Backtracking a little bit and just diving a little bit into the church. I already kind of told you there's no TV, no music. As women, you couldn't dye your hair. You couldn't cut your hair. You couldn't wear makeup. You couldn't wear jewelry. You had to wear dresses that at least went past your knees. You had to pull your hair back into a bun. You dress very plainly. When you entered the church as women, you actually had to cover your head because your hair couldn't be present when you were in the presence of God. It just very much suppressed women, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, the organization or the community that I was born into, like in no way supported the liberation of women or just women being themselves authentically, women expressing themselves, women being strong, women being independent, anything along those lines. So it's kind of a long ramble, but to talk about how it impacted my view on relationships is it, it was a very deep impact because I was taught from a very young age that men are, were above me, right? Men were the head of household. God was a man even. So I've always viewed men as above me. I witnessed it in my own parents' dynamic. My dad did not treat my mother very well. And my mom was very, very submissive. My mom was kept herself very small. I witnessed it with my grandparents. My grandma was basically a servant to my grandpa, but that was just the way that the church, you know, that was just the environment that it cultivated. And even in the wedding vows, it states the, that the woman is basically made for the man to serve the man. So that's a long-winded answer, but it very much, even though I knew I didn't believe in the actual religious teachings from a very young age, I obviously still picked up on a lot of the programming and a lot of the conditioning from the environment I was raised in. So it deeply impacted the way that I viewed myself in relation to men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's very difficult. So what was your family like in this religion? Was your mom or dad religious or how did they get into the religion? So my mom was born and raised into it. My grandparents on my mother's side were devout members of this church. And my mom was born and raised in Michigan, and she moved out to Portland, Oregon for work when she was in her early 20s. And there was also a big community of the church here that she was um, coming to be a part of. And my father, he was not born and raised in it. He converted when he was in his 20s at some point or early 30s, I think. I don't know what age he converted at. And he met my mother and my mom had never dated anybody prior. My mom had no dating experience. And within six months, they got married. Then they had seven kids within the span of about nine years, nine to 10 years. So just back to back kids. And then my father, he really struggled with leading or living the lifestyle that was presented, you know, that the church asked of him. He was always kind of in the gray area. So I always had like a, a parent that was a little bit in the gray area, which made my family a little bit different and a little bit weird. But that's kind of how they both found the church. And then my mom and four of my siblings are still members of this religious organization to this day, which is why I still tread very lightly and cautiously when I talk about it because I'm trying to share my story authentically while simultaneously trying to protect those relationships because I care about them deeply. Mm -hmm. So I just want to dive a little bit more into your relationship with your father. Do you mind like kind of explaining your experience with him and everything like that? 
Yeah. So my father was a closet alcoholic. And I always tell people, I found out at 14 years old that my dad was an alcoholic. And everybody's like, how does that even happen? How do you find out at 14 years old that your father is an alcoholic? Well, I was raised in a religious organization where alcohol was absolutely a no. And we just didn't know that he was struggling because my mom was raised in this church. So she had never been exposed to alcohol before in her entire life. She didn't know the signs of somebody being under the influence. She didn't know the smell, anything. And so he was really struggling in secrecy with his addiction. And he also struggled with addiction to opioids, pain pills. And it just kind of all came to a head when I was like 12, 13. They secretly were like putting him in rehab, trying to get him help. And then at 14, the news broke or whatnot. So my father created a very unstable household, but I didn't know that that was not normal until I was older. Just like a lot of people that struggle with addiction, his moods came and went. They ebbed and flowed. It felt like I was always walking on eggshells, trying to basically just keep myself safe because some days he could be over the top, very affectionate, very loving, and other days he could be violent. My father, <laughs> he created a lot of trauma in my life and a lot of damage in my life. And then when I was 14 years old, he walked away from the family. We had basically had him sign an agreement that if he couldn't maintain his sobriety, that he would leave the home and he didn't maintain his sobriety. So he ended up leaving the home when I was 14, uh, like the last week of my year of eighth grade, middle school before going into high school. And um, I've seen him about once since that time period in my life. So over a decade, I've seen him maybe once. So he having obviously the religious component and having that dynamic of being raised in a religion where men are above me, men are put on this pedestal, women were subservient to men, blah, blah, blah. That's one dynamic. But then I had this compounding layer of having a father who didn't treat me with care and kindness and didn't protect me in the way that father should protect their young daughters. It really compounded that belief system that I had that I was beneath men, men were some that harmed me, men were dangerous, that kind of created an extra layer of trauma, I think, when it came to my relationship with men. So mm -hmm. present day, my relationship with my father is, I forgive him, but he's not a part of my life at all. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry to hear that. Well, moving into navigating relationships and stuff, I know you mentioned that he influenced the choices that you might have made in your relationships later on. What key lessons did you learn from being in relationships? I know in your podcast, you mentioned that you were in two very long-term relationships that were super unfulfilling. How do you feel that they contribute to your personal growth? Oh, man. In so many ways. I feel like I could talk about this forever. When I entered adulthood, I had a lot of unresolved trauma, right? I was still working to unpack, obviously, the religious trauma, the abandonment wounds that came from my father leaving, the wounds that come from living with somebody when, when there's violence in the home or living with somebody who's an addict. And then trigger warning here, I'm going to talk about sexual assault. I was sexually assaulted as a teenager too. I always say that I think of it as like a dial that kept getting turned up and all these events were just turning up this dial really. And um, so I entered adulthood just on very shaky ground when it came to my self-worth, my self-esteem, how I viewed myself in relation to men. Like it was so skewed. I can't stress that enough. Men were up here and I was beneath them. And I firmly believe that to my core. And so when I entered adulthood, I was not dating from a place of high value, right? I was very much seeking acceptance from men. My first 
long-term partnership that I entered, I was 19 years old and he was 31. And at that time, I would have told you like, no, I don't have any daddy issues. Age is just a number. But looking back on that, I very much was seeking stability and safety and really just trying to find, I think, a father figure, somebody to provide me with that safety that I never received from my father. And that relationship was really difficult. He did not uplift me in any way, shape, or form. He was a master manipulator in all honesty. And a couple years into that, I really just started to become curious about feeling better. I was probably around 20, 21 years old. And that's when I began my journey, like my health journey. And I was only a couple months into that. And it gave me enough confidence to leave that relationship which was monumental for me at that point in my time. I felt unstoppable. I felt invincible. I was like, I'm never doing anything like that ever again. But within a year after leaving that relationship, I had entered another long-term partnership with somebody who was 14 years older than me. So looking back, I was still extremely damaged. Damage isn't the right word. I was still extremely unhealed and still was very much operating from a place of low self-worth and I think still seeking like security and safety that I never experienced before. I don't know how to explain it, but the idea of just like dating somebody my age, I don't know if it even crossed my mind because I I think I viewed myself as so damaged. Mm -hmm. So flash forward to two years ago, I then exit that second partnership and it wasn't until the last year and a half, two years that I've really started unpacking. How did those relationships impact me and what lessons can I take from them? I think the biggest way that those relationships impacted me was like staying in partnerships with men who were still like, although I was no longer in the religious organization that I was brought up in, I was continuing to choose partnerships that mimicked the relationships that I viewed growing up, right? So no, I was no longer going to church every Sunday. No, I was no longer feeling pressure to have all these kids. No, I, I was no longer a part of the church, but I had chosen partnerships with men that mirrored my parents and my grandparents' relationships where I was expected from the get-go to cook, to clean, to do their laundry, to care for them. Basically, how I was finding my worth in those relationships was what I could do for these men, right? Mm-hmm. The last partnership that I was in, before I had even moved in with him, I was working two jobs. And I was going to school full time, getting my accounting degree. I would drive to his house on my one day off a week to do his laundry and clean his house. Like that is how much it was still ingrained within me that I serve men. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, I obviously like there's a lot of lessons when it comes to just like, oh, yeah, when you date from a place of high value and self-worth, like obviously you're going to attract different partnerships. Probably the hardest lesson I've learned is that you actually attract partners who mirror how you feel about yourself. So instead of saying these men are bad and X, Y, and Z, it's really like I was just attracting partners that were mirroring how I actually felt about myself. So that was the responsibility landed on me to do the work to feel better. But more than anything, it was just like, whoa, you know, like that programming runs deep. Like here was the path that was set out for me. And I was just choosing like a variation of the path when I wanted to be on a completely different trail, you know? Right, but that's that's a little bit of background when it comes to my relationships because how I viewed myself in relationship to men it fucked me up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can totally relate with that. You just recently came out on your TikTok page and you went viral because you openly talked about your experience with having herpes, and you're now an advocate for it. I know you have lots of dreams and lots of stuff coming up about that. I think that I would like to bring more attention to 
stigmatized it is the reality of it is one in three people have it i believe right is that the correct statistic yeah it's like it varies when it comes to hsv1 yeah that number is a little bit higher and you can read different statistics everywhere but yeah one in three is like a safe but it's very common well, I just want to applaud you for openly talking about it and helping create that destigmatization for that. And STDs in general, like it happens, you guys. I've had an STD before in my life. I had chlamydia. I contracted that at 19 years old. It's super, super common. It's unfortunate if, if it's untreated for a long amount of time, it can leave you infertile. But herpes is very much able to be maintained and a lot of people are living with it and they don't know about it how did your experience with herpes at such a young age impact your self-esteem and your approach to dating it was just another layer right so we've talked about like all the different things that i was navigating at 19 years old this is before i entered that partnership with the man that was in his 30s it was within like six months before before that I contracted herpes from a man that I was dating at the time. We weren't dating for a long period of time, but we had been seeing each other for a couple months. And actually, I had moved in with him. And shortly after that, I found out that I had herpes. And it devastated me at that point in time. It devastated me. I cannot... I don't know if I have words to explain how much it devastated me. And I was already dealing with all of the shame around my body and my sexuality because of my religious upbringing, being a survivor of sexual assault. So it felt like that like final nail in the coffin that just like it sealed my fate when it came to the way that I viewed myself, the way that I viewed my body, my sexuality. It felt like a branding, like a scarlet letter of sorts. It it truly felt like a branding because there's permanency to getting herpes. I also tested positive for chlamydia at the same time. So this man was not clean. But chlamydia, I was like, least of my worries because I just have to take a pill and that disappears. Contracting herpes, oh my gosh, it, it really impacted me so deeply. I've already have spent my entire childhood being told that I am less than a man and I should serve a man. I then experienced sexual assault before I had ever had any innocent interactions with a a male before and then I contract herpes so who the fuck is gonna want me right that was ultimately I I didn't consciously have those thoughts it was just like this internalized belief that first partnership I entered after having herpes when I was 19 and he was 31 years old I didn't even evaluate for a second do I like this man I was just like oh he accepts me sign me up Mm -hmm. so something I'm extremely passionate about now is of course, breaking the stigma, talking about it, but just talking about sexual education in general because of my upbringing in the church. It, this was how much we talked about sex. Sex is for when you're married, that's it. Nobody had any conversations with me around sex ed or anything. I remember one time my mom came into my room and was like, hey, Lana, you're old enough now. I think we need to have the talk. And I got really embarrassed. And I was like, oh, mom, I know. And she just said, okay, and left the room. But I didn't actually know anything. I just knew I didn't want to have the conversation with my mom at that point in time. But I was not the parent. at the, I w- shouldn't have been the one dictating that conversation. And then you have sex ed in school, but we were removed from those classes for religious preferences. So I had no understanding. And I didn't live under a rock. I knew what an STD was. But at 19 years old, I had asked him to get tested. I never just didn't never verify the test results. So I was navigating things to the best of my ability and I have since forgiven my 19 year old self for just being in that situation and contracting herpes ultimately. But moving forward, like a huge dream of mine is to 
of course, spread awareness, but I want to start having conversations with young individuals. I mean, 18, 19, 20, like about to exit high school or in their first year of college, because a lot of us don't get these conversations at home. And I know if you're somebody that was raised in a household where sex was talked about even somewhat, you're like, how do you not know this stuff? Well, it's like some of us just weren't, nobody talked to us about this. And if you were also raised in a home, I didn't have a smartphone. I didn't have TV. I didn't have radio. I didn't have music. I didn't have magazines. Like where am I supposed to be learning this stuff from? And now in this day and age, everybody has the internet, but 10 years ago, that wasn't the case. Yeah. (sighs) The internet is a not safe way to learn about sex. That's how I learned about sex. Unfortunately, I clicked on an ad that was porn and that's what I thought sex was. This is so embarrassing. Like, I think I was like maybe eight or 11, a couple of friends were, we were online, we were searching up Fergie and I clicked on an ad and it was porn. And so for the longest time, I thought that sex was anal. And so I had no idea. Like, I didn't even know that I had a vagina hole for a very, very long time, even down to our anatomy. Like, Mm-hmm. I didn't know anything. My parents never really talked about it. Even in school, yeah, they would talk about STDs, but they don't go into like how to prevent them. I never knew what a dental dam was. I was 19 because I contracted chlamydia in my throat, unfortunately, as well. A dental dam is a way that you can, you know, prevent these types of things. I think the reason why STDs are pretty much an epidemic right now, my sister's in public health and she talks a lot about this. I think it's because the lack of education that we have around protection and like pressure that women feel when having sex with specific partners, it's so common for us to be like, oh, just take the condom off because that's how I unfortunately contracted chlamydia was because of a partner being like, oh, we'll just take it off. And I didn't check to see if he had gotten an STD screening or anything either. It just comes down to empowering ourselves to say no, Mm -hmm. right? It's okay to say no at any point in time. There's nothing to be embarrassed about, about that being your thought about sex, because like, how would you know any better if you're eight or nine years old when people Mm -hmm. aren't talking about these things? So, and then we live in a society where we still make anything involving sex, the most shameful thing on the planet. And I, it blows my mind that we still are operating this way in 2024 because of the fact that literally every human on this planet is having sex or desires to, I believe. Yeah. The more we talk about it, hopefully the less we break the stigma and less le- the less things spread, you know? Totally. And I have the same issue. I still to this day kind of struggle with like my own conditioning and stuff like sex was very much not allowed in the house. So I still have that like shame like am I supposed to feel this way? Am I supposed to feel turned on in having Mm -hmm. that mindset of I need to be taking care of my partner before me, which is not true. You should always be taking care of no matter what and be with a partner who wants to take care of you as well but you know not always that way this is a rabbit hole because I didn't have my first orgasm until I was I don't even I mean it was in my early 20s and I had partners before that I was with partners that literally would just like go to town take care of business and never even I never even pretended to try and take care of me and I did not know any better Mm -hmm. I didn't even know any better and you know I still think like a huge piece of programming that a lot of women struggle with is like just the ability to say no. 
mm-hmm. right? The ability and desire to say no. It could be your husband. It could be your boyfriend. If you are not in the mood and if it's not a full body yes, you have the right to say no at any point in time. But I think it does run pretty deep. We live in a patriarchal society where we think that our job inherently is to appease men in our life. And so I think exactly what you said, we're, I think sometimes we don't say no when we want to. Sometimes we're willing to cross boundaries when we, our body's telling us that we don't want to do that. And a lot of us don't experience pleasure as a result. Yeah. You know, I mean, as, as an additional thing, like a lot of us don't experience pleasure. And mm-hmm. feeling shame, like you said about like, oh, should I be turned on by this? Or even like being sexual sometimes feels shameful. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that I want every woman to overcome because that's where our power lies is in our sexuality. I love this topic, if you can't tell. Mm-hmm. For me, even just learn like touching myself and becoming familiar with my own body and self and masturbating and self-pleasure, like all of that, I didn't even explore that until the last four years or so because that was something that was so shameful. You know what I mean? So it's like mm-hmm. I, I think we're – the, the shame exists to keep us small, to keep us like out of touch with our bodies. Oh, That's for how I, sure. How I yeah, feel. my first time touching myself and like being able to complete an orgasm solo was literally within the last year. I'm 25. That's crazy. I have had like orgasms in the past by myself before, but I never really had one until I was 19 and I was with unfortunately, a very unsafe partner who groomed me. It was my 10th solo episode. I talk about that a little bit, but he taught me how to use toys. And so all I knew to, you know, get off was by using toys. So I was so conditioned in that way and desensitized in that way that I was so out of touch with my body. So when it came to like having orgasms, I literally was just like, gotta make it quick you know and especially with partners it's hard to get to completion there's a lot especially as a woman I feel like it takes a lot of mental and like foreplay oh my god foreplay throughout the entire day it's not just in the bedroom it's the whole fucking day yeah Mm -hmm. it's the whole relationship is getting your woman to that point to where she's comfortable and then it flows naturally there's sometimes where I've been in relationships where I don't get to completion and I'm just like, okay, I have to bring a toy in or I have to just DIY because like it's just not working and you shouldn't feel that much pressure with sex. Well, I think the problem is that a lot of us aren't in a state of receiving. We're not used to receiving. We feel very uncomfortable taking up space. And I think that's the lesson Mm -hmm. that our womb teaches us is that we take time, baby. We take time. We deserve to take up space. We aren't going to be go from zero to 100 very quickly. And it, it's like it teaches us to be in that mode of receiving because I can totally relate. The amount of orgasms I have faked in my life because I have somebody like going down on me or whatever the case may be. And I'm like, it's taking up too much time. I'm taking up too much. It's taking too long. It's taking too long. They're getting annoyed. They're... Then I'm in my head. And so once you're in your head, it's pretty impossible to have an orgasm at that point. So I think that's what my self-pleasure practice has taught me more than anything is anytime I find myself feeling very rushed, I'm like, no, the good things in life take time. And life is about the journey. It's not about the destination. I know that sounds silly, but when I can relax into this is about the experience. It's not about the orgasm. It changed my self-pleasure practice completely to just understand that this could take 30 to 40 minutes. Actually have Mm -hmm. that expectation that it could take 30 to 40 minutes. And this is not using toys. It takes a while to get there, but it's that that's the beauty of it. Because Mm -hmm. a lot of us, I know myself, can really use a lot of practice with just being in the state 
of receiving. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of women can relate. A lot of women can relate to that, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of my favorite topics is to talk about sex. This is like really one of my first conversations on my podcast talking about sex. But I feel like we need to dive into that a little bit more, maybe another episode. But there's so much that goes into it. And women need to feel empowered to say, hey, I like to have sex. I'm a sexual being. Yeah, exactly. And okay, I know we need to get onto other topics, but I just want to talk about something really quick because I know I shared this with you. And so when it goes back to using toys, not using toys. So when I first started, I love to talk about this too. When I first started my self-pleasure practice, and I like to use self-pleasure more than masturbation. I don't like the word masturbation for some reason. Um, I was using toys too. I was using a vibrator. And then when I really started diving into my sexual trauma and how can I actually heal my body, right? I've been in therapy for years. I'm working through the emotional and psychological component, but the actual trauma that's sitting in my body, in my, you know, my womb, like how can I actually heal my physical body? And something that I uh, had heard on a podcast was that if you're using toys, if you're using vibrators, sometimes you can bypass these sensations where your body might be telling you no. And so you could be cultivating more trauma if you're using toys. I'm not saying that's going to be for everybody, but if you have a lot of sexual trauma that is unhealed and is still sitting in your body, I encourage you to try starting to explore yourself with your actual, like with your actual hands. And there was another component of it too, was that your hands are healing, right? If you bump your elbow, if you stub your toe, like you immediately grab it with your hand when you grab a body part or you touch a body part with your hand, it has healing powers. Your hands have healing powers. So don't be afraid to touch yourself with your bare hands because it will change your entire relationship with yourself and it will completely change your self-pleasure practice. Mm-hmm. And that's that. That's We can stop talking about sex now, but I'm like, it changed my life to start exploring myself with these little fingers. No, seriously. And you taught me that too, because when you brought that to my attention and we were like talking about that topic, that was kind of around the time where I was like, oh, I'm going to explore myself a little bit more. And that is so true. And the connection that you have and the trust that you have with yourself after that is life changing, mm-hmm. life changing people. And when you're touching yourself, ask yourself, do I have permission? Continuously ask your body for permission, for consent. And that mm-hmm. really has major healing powers if you have dealt with maybe those boundaries being surpassed in the past. Mm-hmm. It all starts yeah. with yourself, people. That's mm-hmm. pretty much the topic of the episode, it feels like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, you also mentioned that in the past year, you've had some transformative situations happen to you. Can you elaborate on how you found yourself and what sparked this transformation? Oh my gosh. Well, you tell me. <laughs> You're the one that's witnessed it. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. So I went through a breakup in April of 2022, and it took me about a year to get my footing after that. I immediately moved out with my dog, got my own place, but I was very lost. I had basically landed on my ass at the age of, I don't know, 27 at that point. And I was like, how did I end up here? How am I 27 years old dating a man that I resent? Like, how did I end up at this point in my life? And so I really started to ask myself what led me to that spot and be very, very curious, not coming from a place of judgment or shame, just genuine curiosity. I knew that I was operating way beneath my potential. I was depressed. How did I end up there? Truly, how the fuck did I end up there? It took me 
almost a year to kind of get my footing in that time period. I mean, we spent like that following summer kind of partying and whatnot. And that's fine. We were coping. We were freshly single after for the first time in a while. Like I don't shame myself at all for how I acted those following months after my breakup. But so breakup was April of 2022. In December of 2022, I decided to give up alcohol. And that was probably the first really big game changer when it came to healing myself, healing my relationship with self and really starting to have these breakthroughs. I decided to just do an experiment of like, what does life feel like without alcohol? I'm just going to do a year because to say I'm giving it up forever felt way too permanent, felt way too scary. So I was like, I'm going to enter 2023 without booze and I'm just going to see how I feel. I'm going to make an informed decision for myself. At the end of 2023, I'll decide, do I still want it to be a part of my life or not? And just a couple months into that, I was like, I am never going back. Excuse me. I'm never touching alcohol ever again. So that was like probably the first big thing that took place. And when I decided to give up alcohol, I also was like, okay, I'm going to do a full honest audit of my life. I had in October of 2022, I'd went on a date with a total loser who had crashed his car and given me a TBI. And I also was another one of those moments where I was like, how the fuck did I end up there? Like, what was I doing? And I realized that I was still out seeking male attention, still out seeking male validation. I really just needed to sit the fuck down and take an honest look at myself and get myself into a better position. So December 2022, I had was slowly recovering from my TBI. I decided to give up booze and I was just like, how do I actually become somebody that I'd want to date? I'm out here seeking, I was on dating apps. I was seeking male attention and validation, but I was like, I'm not even somebody I would want to date. So how am I going to attract somebody that I actually desire if I am not somebody I actually desire. Mm -hmm. So I did a full audit of my finances. I did a full audit of like my daily habits. I gave up alcohol. I traded, I was driving an expensive car with a fat car payment. I traded in my car. I just like humbled myself in all honesty. And, um, I really just put my nose down for the next few months and I just worked and took care of my health and just focused on my daily healthy habits. And by March of 2023, I was in a completely different spot. Like those three months, I would consider them to have just been like really deep building months. I ended up purchasing a home during that time period. And I was really starting to get traction of just like really the sense of empowerment And in March of 2023, I took myself to Cabo, Mexico by myself for my 28th birthday. And it was on that trip. I remember sitting on a beach and at this point I'd been practicing meditation. I've been doing meditation daily and I was in a meditative state on the beach and my grandmother on my mother's side visited me. And it was a life-changing experience because I wouldn't have considered myself spiritual before. I mean, given my upbringing, I would have considered myself an atheist. I thought I was just a speck of dust floating in outer space and my life had no meaning. And when my grandmother came to visit me, something shifted within me. It was that trip where I was like, not only am I going to be so good, like I am going to thrive. Like this sense of self really started to awaken. It started to blossom. And that is what I would say was the beginning of my spiritual awakening. So. All of last year, I just, I blossomed in ways I can't even begin to describe. I immersed myself in nature in ways that I've never previously experienced. I really started to believe in something bigger than myself. I really started to, I don't know, I really, I really started to believe in God again. And that was 
sometimes even saying the word God still feels weird for me because I'm like, my God is not the God that I was taught in my upbringing in Christianity. It's not a guy in the sky. It's not a man. He's not there judging me. He's not there watching my every move to determine what happens to me when I pass on. God is just love. God is source energy. God is like all of our spirits, like all of the energy of all of us combined. God is the air that I breathe. I am God. God is nature. Like I started to really connect with this higher power. And I will always say that if finding my spiritual, my spirituality has changed my life because having trust in something bigger than myself has allowed me to really start making these quantum leaps and really start going after what I want. So last year I was just in a state of deep, intense healing, getting into my own home was the first time I felt like my body felt safety. And I felt like it was the first time my body exited survival mode. So just getting my body in a state of safety really allowed me to open up in so many other ways too. Then in last summer, I decided to take myself to Greece on a solo trip. And that, I mean, if you've solo traveled, you know, you go on a solo trip, your entire life changes, like, you know, you're going to go on that trip and be a different person when you come back. And it was on that trip where I was like, why am I still waiting to go after my dreams? Why am I still waiting to go after what I want? I keep telling myself next year and three years and five years, I'm going to build this dream life of mine because I've always dreamed about being an entrepreneur, having some a job that brings me some sort of purpose, pa- passion and connection and traveling full time. I've always wanted to travel like and see the entire world. And so I'm sitting on this balcony in Greece watching the sunset and I was like, I'm going to do it this year. Like by the end of this year, I'm making a move. Like I cannot wait any longer. And it comes down to, I finally believed in myself. I finally had trust in myself. I finally, like, I really fucking liked myself. I really respected myself. I really cared for myself. And all of those things come from like your daily habits, the boundaries you set, the boundaries you maintain, really the way that you show up in, in your life, you know? And So yeah, now it's January of 2024 and I'm in San Diego. I sold every single thing that I own and I've embarked on a journey of at least for 2024, I'm going to live like a nomad. I'm going to spend about a month in each city and just really try and figure out more about who I am, what I like, what I don't, meet different people. I just really want to grow as much as I possibly can and travel expands my perspective and forces me to grow unlike any other experience on this planet. So took a lot of big leaps and I just still feel like I'm on this giant rocket ship of just like, I am evolving at such a rapid pace that I don't even feel like I can keep up. Um, but it's been beautiful and exciting. That's the last two years summed up. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Living a nomadic lifestyle can be challenging and very liberating. What inspired you to embrace this way of life and how has it contributed to your sense of freedom? So I was somebody who was very controlled most of my adult life, probably because of my childhood and being the middle child of seven and just being raised in a very chaotic home and having a lot of things outside of my control. A way that I found safety and security as an adult was to control a lot. Like my, I would consider myself to be fairly OCD. My home had to be a certain level of clean. Everything had to be a certain way. Like if you placed a dish in my sink, I would immediately put it in the dishwasher. I was just very controlled. And that brought me a sense of safety in my life. And I knew that it was a false sense of safety. And besides wanting to just explore different parts of the US, different parts of the world and see what was out there, that was obviously a primary uh, motivator for me wanting to live this way. But more than anything, I wanted to push myself 
outside my comfort zone as much as I possibly could, could because I feel like when it comes to evolving and growing, I just want my like the gas pedal to the floor. And so I was like, if I go and move around and lose all sense of control when it comes to my environment, my space, how cleanly things are. I mean, of course, I still keep things clean, obviously, but there's so much outside of your control when you're living in Airbnbs and moving from place to place and nothing is your own. I really, I wanted to just basically embrace life in the unknown. I wanted to give up as much control as I possibly could because, and surrender, because I knew that was where I was going to grow the most. And I wanted to continuously come back to finding safety within my body because as I've really healed my nervous system and regulated my nervous system over the last year or so, I've really learned that safety doesn't come from relationships. Safety doesn't come from money. Safety doesn't come from the environment or how clean you're your environment is safety comes from yourself. You find safety within your body. So this journey is about me learning that I provide myself safety. Safety all comes from within and we're like a month in and yeah, I mean, learning to self-soothe and regulate my nervous system like a champion and really just continuously coming back to my trust within myself that there may be things wildly outside of my control. Like Archie, my dog has been six, basically since the moment I got here and I think my old self, it would just derail me so much. And it's still impacting me, but coming back to, I'm good. I'm okay. I trust, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I'm so proud of you. And it's so exciting watching you. Can you share any memorable experiences you've had so far while being on this nomadic journey? Yeah. So I'm only three and a half weeks in now. So I left, right? I left the day before Christmas Eve, came down to San Diego. This is my first stop and I'm leaving San Diego the end of next week. I'm going to the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee, which is kind of crazy. So memorable moments have been, well, I would say the first one is I got to this Airbnb in downtown San Diego and there's, it's, it's like an old historic inn that's been renovated and now it's just Airbnbs and apartments. And of course, as I'm arriving in the city, I'm excited, but you guys, I'm nervous. This is like brand new to me. And there's like this, there's this older gentleman that kind of runs the ship here and he has totally taken me under his wing. He checks in on me almost every single day. He texts me, he gave me a free parking space so I didn't have to park on the street. He, from the moment I met him, just good vibes. I felt very safe with him. And I was just thinking today about, I think he was a little angel that was sent here to just give me this little added layer of safety and security as I embarked on this brand new journey. And it just continues to confirm for me that God is constantly thinking of me, protecting me. The universe is always trying to take care of me. I just have to be in a state of being open to seeing it. So I think that's been probably my most memorable, just little component of the journey so far. Then my girlfriend did fly down and I did go to an Abraham Hicks workshop on January 6th. And if you don't know who Abraham Hicks is, just go look Abraham Hicks up and report back because that workshop was, I know it's changed the trajectory of my entire year because it's all about the law of attraction and just firmly believing that You can create any reality that you want. You can have anything that you want if you maintain feeling good, if you believe that it's possible for you, but it all comes back to energetically and vibrationally where you are at. And I'm just on a path this year to, I feel like prove to myself that I, that this is actually true because backtracking a little bit, I got laid off from my job in October. I was working remotely and planning to continue working remotely as I embarked on this journey. I got laid off. And so I was still working like on my podcast and building a business on the side, but I was kind of 
plunged into entrepreneurship before I felt like I was ready. But I trusted that universe was like, okay, bitch, you're ready. So I trust that I was ready. I just didn't feel ready. And so this year for me is all about like, I'm going to build the business of my dreams. I'm going to create a life of complete freedom and I'm going to do it all while traveling full time. So that workshop just really set this, lit this fire underneath my ass. And then I would say the last thing, I don't have any major monumental moments other than I just like being able to walk here at in the sunshine when everybody back home is in the snow and in the ice and freezing cold and in the gray, it just, it feels like complete freedom or even being able to say, okay, next week I'm going to Tennessee because I'm feeling called to go to the Smoky Mountains and I can't even explain why I'm being called to the Smoky Mountains, but I'm just trusting like that sounds that feels surreal to me. Or I just booked a trip to Costa Rica for my birthday because I found a flight for 300 bucks. And I'm like, that to me, like having these moments of just being able to be like, I'm going to go here next. I'm going to do this next. Although I have way less amenities and way less personal belongings and way less like luxury, my life is so much more beautiful. And I don't think there's anything that can compare to feeling complete freedom and not being Mm -hmm. tied down. Yeah. And if anyone, I mean, anyone can become a nomad or travel the world and I think everyone should have the opportunity to do that because it can be life-changing experiencing different sceneries experiencing different people ways of life all that kind of stuff and I'm excited for you to go to Costa Rica I've always wanted to go there it's a very beautiful place from what I've seen yeah and I think that I'm talking about travel is like talking about sex because I'm like I'm never gonna shut up about it But traveling is something I am so passionate about because traveling expands your perspective. It helps you grow. It helps you see the way that other people live. It helps you have, like, it just helps you have more compassion for other human beings. I can't, there's nothing on this planet that has shaped me and transformed me and helped me evolve, like stepping on a plane and going somewhere. I, I don't, you know, I'm not previously familiar with, or I previously haven't visited. So If you have the opportunity to travel, because I know living nomadically wouldn't be for everybody, but if you just want to expand your perspective and if you want to grow, like book a trip, it doesn't have to be committing to a full lifestyle, but even just booking a trip, like it has a huge impact. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I love it. Awesome. Well, we're getting kind of towards the end of the episode, but there are a couple more questions I have for you. So sharing personal stories on a podcast, you have a podcast called Your Inner Spark, requires a level of vulnerability, right? So how do you balance being open about your experiencing experiences and maintaining some of your privacy as well? I don't have that nailed. Like I just, I'm going to be honest, I don't have that nailed. I am such an open book and I think I'm still figuring out where those boundaries lie for me. Mm-hmm. And so I have a segment of my podcast called Spark Notes where it's just a raw, unedited, basically voice note to, I say my girlfriends because I consider all my listeners my girlfriends. And I talk about things that I'm navigating in real time, uh, personal stuff. And I, I don't think I figured out exactly where that line is for me. And I think as I continue to go through this process, it will become clearer for me. Like the first episode that I released, I did talk about some family stuff that did not go over so well. And I was like, okay, I won't talk about certain things moving forward. So I'm learning some of those. I'm learning that boundary, even from just the way that people in my life feel about certain things, but I am, I, I don't have this nailed. And maybe you have a better insight because you've been doing this a little bit longer than me, but I feel like I'm still like, just, I'm, I'm winging it. (laughs) Yeah. It's hard because, I mean, the whole 
reason my name of the show is like the vulnerability hangover so i remember sometimes i'll get off episodes and i feel like hungover in a sense because Mm -hmm. i'm being so vulnerable which is the whole reason behind the show i've never been a private person i'm kind of like out there and i've always had that personality of like doing things for the shock value or saying things outward and like i'm i don't yeah i'm the same way i do not have a huge sense of privacy i have privacy for others and i'll conceal identities but when it comes to myself i'm a pretty open book and I know that if there was a person exactly like me that's been through the same experiences, I would want to hear from them. So I think what we're doing is valuable. So, yeah. And I think for me, it's like, I guess I will say, I won't talk about like dating anymore in the sense of I dated somebody last fall for a couple months and I told him, I asked his permission, like, are you good with me talking about things? And he was on board. Mm -hmm. But three months in when things took a left turn, then I, I felt like I had to, be, like, I didn't love that I had talked about things so quickly. So mm-hmm. I think moving forward, when it comes to my dating life, I will maintain more privacy. Um, just because I think it allows me to just like ebb and flow and navigate that separately and not feel like I then have to explain things to people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but I agree. I think my mission is always to just make people feel less alone in their journeys and to help women eradicate the shame that they're experiencing or still carrying around from things that happened in their younger years or whatnot. So for me, just like you said, like it's a price I'm totally willing to pay. I love being an open book and it's provided me so many beautiful connections that Mm -hmm. it's worth it to me. Mm -hmm. I agree. The messages that we get on the daily about like, oh my God, I never talk about this. And you in specific, just going back to your HSV diagnosis, like people feel connected and they feel seen. And if you could just like help one person in this lifetime eradicate the shame, like you said, it's worth it. Yeah. Period. I love it. Well, where can everyone find you to connect with you and listen to your podcast? Yes. So my podcast is called Your Inner Spark, and you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on YouTube. On TikTok, my username is Your Inner Spark Pod. It's the same handle on Instagram as well. And then my personal page on Instagram, if you want to follow my crazy day-to-day life adventures, it's Lana's Ego Death. So yeah, hope to see you there. Thank you so much for coming on to the vulnerability hangover. And hopefully we'll have you on again because we have so much stuff to talk about and we could talk for hours. So truly. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for joining us on this incredible episode of the vulnerability hangover podcast. A special thank you to Lana for sharing her story so openly and authentically. If Lana's journey resonated with you or sparked a thought, We'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us on social media, share your reflections, and let's continue this conversation. Vulnerability is strength, and in sharing our stories, we connect on a deeper level. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, and share with someone who might find inspiration in Lana's experiences. Stay tuned for more heart-to-heart conversations on the Vulnerability Hangover podcast. Until next time, Embrace your journey, be kind to yourself, and always remember that you are not alone. I'll catch you guys in the next episode. Okay, love you, bye!